In just a moment, I'll be reading from Exodus, the third chapter, the second in this sermon series. Uh, if you were not with us last week, we launched a sermon series, uh, Your God is Too Small, taken from a book that was written in 1952 and uh, was very influential at that time and in many ways still is because most of us have a God who is too small. We introduced one of our new banners last week as we talked about El Shaddai, uh, God of the mountain, the mighty God. And then this morning we uh, share another new one, Rock of Our Salvation, as we think about Yahweh, the personal and promise-keeping God, as uh, shown through the great story of the Exodus. And so I encourage you, if you've not uh, had a chance to uh, do so, to maybe get online and listen to that uh, sermon from last week, because all four of these sermons hang together as we each week sort of add a another layer to this very deep and profound topic of who God is and who God is in relationship to us and better ways to understand who God is. So before I read the scripture, I would invite us to bow our heads together for a time of meditation to be in the holy God's presence and then I'll lead us in prayer. Gracious Lord, in your presence this morning, we acknowledge our sin and when we ponder the depth of our failures and brokenness, that helps us understand even more beautifully the depth and power of your grace, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you would deliver us, you would forgive us, and you would restore us as your children. We pray today that you would take us deeper in our understanding of you because we know deep down we don't really learn about you from a book or from a sermon or even from a song. Ultimately, we learn from you and about you by walking with you and by experiencing your presence in storms, your mercy in a time of need, and your freedom in a time of slavery. We pray today that you would help us to place all of our lives under your tender care. We pray that today you'd open our hearts, especially bless and comfort those who are grieving those who are struggling, those who are ill, those who are imprisoned, those who are dealing with uh, life's pain that cannot even be shared with others. Would you be the God, not only who is mighty, the rock, the mountain, but would you be the great God who delivers, the God who saves? We invite you now to bless us with understanding as we hear your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as I read aloud from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards once said, Our problem is not that we have no idea of God. Our problem is that we have little ideas of God. We make God very tiny to fit our human understanding. And part of the problem that we all have is that we use language to try to describe God and words can only approximate. Images and illustrations can only come close. In fact, we get to the point where we want our words to fence God in and we say God is like this and we use our words as if we can contain God, but of course we know we can't. Last week we talked about uh, the God El Shaddai, the God of the mountains, and God is like a mountain. He protects and defends. He's majestic and takes our breath away. But that's not all there is to say about God. Words fail. All words can do is suggest and point in the direction. In this particular scripture, we see that God is likened to a fire. And, and that image works for a while, doesn't it? Uh, like a fire, God warms and welcomes. And like a fire, God lights the way. Like a fire, God changes everything that comes in contact with him. But the illustration breaks down because this fire was not consumed. It never burned up. And God is eternal and God is always powerful. And God is that fire that never goes out. So all, all words eventually just come short. Words can, can simply just kind of point in the direction. The mystery of this scripture, of course is that as Moses sees the burning bush, that God invites Moses into dialogue and then invites Moses into conversation and relationship. 
And as I said last week, and, and I will keep saying, this is the greatest miracle that we quickly rush over and forget. That the God of the cosmos would self-disclose and choose to be in a relationship with us. I mean, fathom that. That God chooses to reach out to us and to unveil God's self to us. Uh, if you ever think about it, human nature is such that if you don't want someone to know about you, uh, you simply can close yourself off. Anytime we self-disclose to another person, that's a gift. We call it opening up, making ourselves vulnerable. Anytime we do that, that's a gift because we're giving a part of ourselves to that person. Uh, I was on an airplane uh, earlier this summer and it was really late at night and everybody was pretty tired, but across the aisle uh, was a, a, a lady sitting on, and then on the other side of her by the window was a young man who must have been, he must have had a lot of coffee or something. He was really pumped and he wanted to visit. And he, he wanted her to self-disclose, but I could tell by listening that she just wanted to be left alone. She was not really interested in disclosing. He, on the other hand, I mean, before the flight was over, we knew everything, everybody on the airplane knew everything about him except his routing number for his checking account. It was really amazing because he was self-disclosing like crazy and she was like, you've been on those airplane flights. Maybe you've been one person or the other. Watch the coffee, right? But the point is that to choose to disclose is a great gift to the other person. And so God makes God's self known. And notice how God reveals his very being. He doesn't use adjectives like, I am omnipresent, I am all-powerful, I am all-knowing, omniscient. He doesn't use Greek philosophical terms. He uses action words. He says, he says, I'm going to make myself known through relationships. He doesn't say I'm the God of a certain mountain or the God of a certain battle or the God of some characteristic. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm known in relationship. And so God continues to reveal God's self in this continual unfolding mystery making known to us his very being, his very person. And it's a faithful unveiling that happens over time. And, and it's always personal, always personal. And that leads us to that mysterious name that's given to God. As Moses says, you know, if I go to the Israelites, they're going to want to know, okay, what's this God's name? And God says, you tell them, I am. Again, it's, it's a verb form of to be. It's a verb, not an adjective. It's an action word. I am. Now, that's, that's a little unusual. By the way, that is pronounced in Hebrew, Yahweh. Uh, that became in English because of translations, uh, Jehovah. Some of our older Bibles have Jehovah. Uh, and the Jews hold God in such reverence and such respect. They don't believe they are worthy to take the name Yahweh on their lips. So when the scribes would come to this name Yahweh, I am, they would substitute Adonai, Lord, 
And any time in our English Bibles, when you see the word LORD in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all caps, that's Yahweh, I am. It's not just master. It's, it's the I am. I am. I am who I am. I am becoming who I will become. And I like Paige Kelly's translation of this. It says, God is saying, I will be everything you need for tomorrow. I like that, don't you? Especially on a Sunday when we talk about transitions back to school and back into routine and about the anxiety that's in all of our hearts about changes in our lives. I will be everything that you need to be in tomorrow. Need me to be it tomorrow. I will walk with you into the future. I am who I am. I'm continually revealing myself to you and I will be with you in your tomorrows. I will grow in your understanding of me. I want to camp here a little bit because I think we make a mistake when we read this story about Moses and the burning bush and then Moses' commission. You know, we somehow got the idea that Moses dropped from the sky fully formed spiritually. That one day he was shepherding and then he had this burning bush and all of a sudden he said, I understand it all now. I'm fully mature spiritually. It didn't work that way. Moses had been raised in Egypt which had many gods. And I personally believe it took a while to wash out all of those many gods out of Moses' worldview as he came to understand as Yahweh, the I Am, became more and more to him. Uh, some of us of a certain age uh, were raised on the movie The Ten Commandments starring Charlton Heston. And uh, I was a little kid when that first came out, but it just blew me away. In fact, I thought Moses looked like that. Whenever I read this scripture, I still think of that. There's even a rumor going around that Charlton Heston looked more like Moses than Moses did. I don't know if that's true or not. And then a younger generation, about 1998, there was a movie that came out, The Prince of Egypt. And, uh, you know, some of uh, the younger set may say, well, I thought that's what Moses looked like. But we have this idea that, wow, all of a sudden he got gray hair and became wise and he understood all of this, but it was a growing process. God became more and more to him as he obeyed and as he experienced God. And if that was true for Moses, how much more true is that for us who live on this side of the incarnation, who know God through his son Jesus Christ, who, by the way, called himself the I Am. You think it's just an accident that in John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection of life. I am. One time, Jesus got so exasperated with religious leaders who were trying to say, we've got it right because we follow Abraham. Jesus was totally exasperated and finally blurted out, before Abraham was, I am. That's in John 858, check it out. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm the eternal present tense. I'm eternally present tense. I am. 
This is who God is. Now, it's also interesting that in all the ways that God could have self-defined, God self-defines as a slave-freeing God. All of the action words in verses 7, 8, and 9, I have seen the misery of my people. The Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. 400 years. I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cry. Notice the verbs. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver. I will bring them out. Over and over again, verses 7, 8, and 9, action words. Because God self-defines as the slave-freeing God. And if you're here this morning, you may be enslaved to some addiction and some habit, to some hatred or grudge. You may be enslaved to a lifestyle that is not healthy. You may be enslaved to sin and guilt. You may be enslaved to fear. God is the God who breaks the chains. But this scripture is not simply to be spiritualized and used as illustration. I believe that this is also a message that God cares about those who live as victims of sex trafficking in this world and in this country and in this state. I believe that God cares about those who are socially and economically oppressed and those who are racially excluded. You know, we're doing a a special commemoration service tomorrow night. Uh, It's a community service, but we're hosting it. The Angela Project was started uh, in, in full three years ago. Several historically black denominations are working with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship uh, to commemorate Tuesday the 20th is the 400th anniversary. How long did I say that the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt? 400 years? Tuesday the 20th is the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first African enslaved in the Americas. Her name was Angela, and on the 20th of August, 400 years ago, she set foot in the colonies. And the fact that we are even having to talk about that is a reminder of how we often spiritualize and scrub out scriptures that we don't want to have to deal with. To remember that God is the liberating God who cares about everyone. You see... If you read the text carefully, the Egyptians looked at the Israelites as property, as things, as objects. But God looked at the Israelites as human beings of worth and infinite value. God looked at the Israelites as of infinite worth. And soon, because they heard the message, the Israelites started seeing themselves as people of worth and value too, loved by God. And that's a powerful thing. And that sort of leads me to something I want to say about evangelism. 
And I'd never read this scripture before and thought about evangelism in just this way until the, the weeks and months of preparation for this series. God was telling Moses, I want you to take the good news to the Israelites that they are of infinite value and worth and I care about them, I see them, and I'm going to lift them out. I want you to, I want you to be my evangelist to take the good news. Moses said, oh, I'm not so sure. God says, yeah, they're hungry. They're hungry for freedom and they're hungry for me. You go, their hearts are hungry. I believe there is spiritual hunger in our land. But we sometimes don't recognize it. And we sometimes don't want to even think about it because it puts responsibility on us to share. Uh, Jonathan Merritt uh, has written a, a, an interesting book entitled Learning to Speak God from Scratch. It's really an interesting book, and I heard him speak this summer at Cooperative Baptist Fellowship General Assembly. And in the book, he basically says there's this incredible hunger spiritually for people to know God, but our language is stale. Uh, the words we used to use don't resonate anymore because people don't have that Bible background. And he said, what's more, sometimes people use the word God to beat up on other people. And he said, we need to find fresh ways to speak about God and about Jesus Christ and the hungers in people's soul. He researched with Barna Group, the Barna Polling and Research Group. He did extensive research and discovered that it's the younger adults who are more willing to talk about God and spiritual issues than the older generations in America. And it's the millennials who are having more spiritual conversations than any other generation in our country. That there are spiritual hungers out there. And we need to hear what Moses heard to just go and share. When's the last time you engaged somebody in a conversation about God and about faith and about what Jesus Christ means to you? When's the last time you, you sat down with someone and had a spiritual conversation? Learning to speak God from scratch is what Moses had to do to go to his people and share the good news. And as always, the good news ends up being about God's love. Because I don't think people reject God as much as they reject the pathetic caricature of God that we sometimes portray. As angry, vindictive, racist, tribal. It's not God people are rejecting, it's the pathetic caricature of God. God is love. Remember that 1 John chapter 4 scripture? We read last week, God is love. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to die for our sins. Not in this Bible, but in my uh, larger, older study Bible, uh, beside my, the Exodus 3 passage of scripture, I found an old note that I had scribbled in at some point, a quote by Oswald Chambers. And I think it's appropriate here. Somewhere Oswald Chambers said, we can never understand God's love, but we can get down in it and experience it. We can never understand God's love, but we can burrow down inside it 
and experience it. That's what God calls us to. Relationship. Hooking into his promises. That he is Yahweh, the I Am, the living God. 